Okay, the button is on and this thing says it's recording what I'm saying. So I guess here it goes. This is the best I can do. Best way to get it out before it's too late. Before it's all over. When I drop this in the mail later, I want to know that my words can be heard on it. And who better than the editors of a national newspaper to be listening? I've made some notes to read from, but other than that, you're hearing it as I tell it. So here I go. It's not easy, but it's almost done by the time it begins. I want you to know that I loved Ricky Sills before I knew what love was. I held a place in my heart for him and I kept it ready. I would never allow anyone else there. Not ever. I still see him in town sometimes. Gloucester's a lot bigger now, but he stands out like he always did. He won't speak to me, and I don't blame him. I don't speak to him either. I'm just grateful that I can still see him now and again. But that's coming to an end soon enough. A few days ago, an eye doctor told me that I wouldn't be able to see even as well as I do for many more years. Macular degeneration, Tim, the doctor said, just as matter-of-factly, as if he'd suspected I'd hear it. Seems the poor diet and drinking and lack of exercise have all been less effective. I'm sure contributing, still, than the two packs a day for almost 30 years. The only dye I had was sided with all bad outcomes, and I just tossed it till it came up. What else? Bad. It's funny, though. Blindness isn't the only... No, blindness isn't, it isn't the one I saw it landing on. But who knows? Maybe I'll see Ricky more in my new darkness than now. Maybe I'll be visited by that scent of his. So ready and immediate. And I won't worry about his image so much as I have in the past. Speaking about the past, I guess I should ask the future. Not for long, though, because there really is no such thing when you think about it. But in my case, in my case today, there really will be no future. That's right. What you're hearing is a really long suicide note, in most respects. And not so much a note about suicide as a confession and an indictment. You'll see by the time I don't. You'll see. I'm ready to go, and I have been for a long time. But I have to tell you the truth first about what I've done, about what I didn't do. I have to tell you what I know now while I have the daffodils climbing out of a warming earth, arching toward the sun like ballerinas to the light to remind me of it all. There's no place like Gloucester, Virginia in spring after all. No place more beautiful and morbid for me.
This place comes to life now in a way that draws the attention of many. But it's been thirty years since spring meant new life for me. That first day of spring, 1984, was for me the end of an innocence I never knew I possessed and a guilt I didn't know I could carry. It turns out it was the beginning of the rest of my life in this town. That morning, Ricky rolled over onto his side like he had so many times. He was 17 years old and nearly 6 foot, and he pressed himself against my thigh and cheek like he owned me. The first time that he had ever done this, about a year earlier, he whispered that it was to give me what he knew I wanted, nothing more, in his own effort to protect me from everything he suspected I longed for. I'll do this much, Ricky Sills said after he climaxed in his underwear, pressed himself against me thoroughly for so many minutes. If you'll promise to leave it at this. Then that first time, just like he would this time, he'd get up afterwards and go to the bathroom or shower, then get dressed and leave for whatever demanded his attention that day. And there was a lot that demanded Ricky Sill's attention, I told myself as he emerged from the shower and put his jeans on under the towel wrapped around his waist. Look, he began, looking, looking to me with some sort of instructional endearment that made me want to crawl into his shirt pocket and witness his day firsthand, safe and sound. He said, I got to meet with a few people about baseball while school's still out. And you can't wait much longer to look at some sort of college to go to, Timmy. Once spring break is over, there's no time left, you hear? I hear you, I said to him, naked under the sheet since I'd taken my underwear off and thrown them under the bed. My usual deal. Neither of us had ever seen the other naked, which was never really brought up or accepted as part of Ricky's and what he wanted. It was his intent, which I was willing to follow, but it didn't matter. I wouldn't get up until he got dressed and was out of the house that old single-wide trailer that my mother had purchased with cash from my father's life insurance policy. We'd lived there since I was four and a half years old. And so just having turned 18, I knew that trailer better than I knew my old man. I know you hear me, Ricky finally said to me. I want to know that my best friend, the future hotel chain owner, from Gloucester County, Virginia, a fucking hole in the wall if there ever was one, is going, to, is going to major in business and become a successful hotel chain owner and leave this shithole just like me when I'm an outfielder for the Baltimore Orioles. That's what he said. And I'll be there cheering your own, Ricky, I said before thinking about it.
Hell you will, he snapped back. This time it took me aback. But I knew it had been building up to this. Okay, I almost whimpered. Feeling pretty angry, and he sensed quickly. I think he regretted it. Timmy. He just said so softly, like he could sometimes. Out of frustration more than any attempted intimacy. My mother had left for work, so he didn't need to be quiet. Then he said, I, I can't always be near you. and We both have dreams we want to follow. I'm going to play baseball until I fucking die, man. And you're going to invest lots of the money that I make in great big-ass hotels. I want to be with you, I said before I knew, and I, I had to quickly add, to live in Baltimore. You can't, he said, just flat. You can't. Then kept that tone as some way of enforcing his ruling. I'll live there with my mom and my wife and kids. You'll live in New York with your wife and your kids. We'll be in touch all the time. And your kids will grow up spending Thanksgiving and Christmas together with mine. And life will be as cool as shit, man. But then I said, what if I don't get married? I had asked this before, but we seemed to be getting down to some inevitable wire lately. And my instinct told me to get clarification, to seek some reason in what Ricky Sills was planning. Okay, so you don't, Ricky Sills said to my surprise. Then continued before I could process it. You can be the single guy I'll sometimes wish I was. You can have that playboy image that'll make it easier when you visit me or I visit you. What, I said. So your wife will think I'm getting you laid? No, Ricky answered slowly. So she won't think anything else. With that, Ricky just kind of walked into the bathroom again and he began to brush his dirty hair. <laughs> dirty blonde hair, I should say. It always seemed dirty, though. He kept it fairly short since his dad. He, his dad would have kicked his ass if he hadn't. I turned on my other side and watched him, realizing how part of his life Just knowing that being that part of his life for the previous year had changed everything for me. And there was no going back. And there's still no going forward for some reason. I looked at his profile. And he just fussed over himself. Estimating a pimple on his chin and then getting back to his hair. I looked at his jeans and his jersey. With his name across his shoulders. I just lost my mind in the sight of him standing there, and I finally got upset. I said the first thing that came to mind. I think I'll just stay here and go to community college, I said pitifully. Or maybe just get a job. What's it matter? I had barely gotten the question out when Ricky was climbing over me in order to secure a place right in front of me, face to face. 
I wished for a second that he would just leave, grab his things and go. Screw one of those girls he'd screwed before again and again and let me figure out me. But he just breathed frustratedly into my face. His hair still dampened and his armpits. Lush and dark, straight hair resting in my palm and his hand pressed against my upper neck. I felt all the life go out of me and into him as it always had. I wasn't Timmy Sawyer anymore. I hadn't been for a long while. As I lay basking right there in his entirety, wanting nothing down the hall or out the door, or under the sun so much as just to stay there, to never leave there, I knew that I had become Ricky Sills. I felt it. I was frightened in every way by it. I didn't regret it. And I knew I couldn't put another thought together if it ever changed. The kitchen phone rang that morning and it, it always seemed like it was going to ring right off the wall. Those were the days. It was the only phone in the trailer, and for this reason, it had to be loud enough to be heard anywhere. I hadn't so much drifted off as fallen into a state of depression since Ricky left. When the phone rang, I looked first to see what time it was. 8.45 a.m. And it kept ringing. I got up and walked naked to the kitchen from my bedroom which was made even more unusual when I realized I'd be speaking to someone that way. I ignored everything I was thinking, since every thought I had was lower on the priority scale than Ricky Sills. And one thought only led to another equally forgettable thought. Hello, I finally said into the phone. Get up, dumbass. Spring has sprung. I remember that, that voice. This eerie combination of authority and trouble. Hello, I said, immediately thinking to myself, I meant to say, who's this? I think we've covered that, dumbass. The man now sounded very familiar. I could place the voice if he kept talking. Then he did exactly that. The day is almost gone, Timmy boy, so get dressed and get to my house. I've got clothes on. I lied. I just lied for no particular reason. My mother sometimes commented on how quickly I could choose to tell a lie when I didn't have to. But I felt just so very naked standing in the kitchen that morning, looking out the window at the dogwoods and the breeze. I'd lost myself in a series of disconnected thoughts before the, the voice returned. Who gives a shit, said the voice. And finally, I knew it was Bill Fort. Oh, sure, sorry, I said, suddenly engaged. I'll be there as soon as I can. I gotta go to the bank to get some money for my mom for gas. Whatever, Bill Fort said. 
Like I said, boy, spring is sprung and there's work to do. I got a big place and you need to get on it and get on the ball before it's summer already. I'd begun to feel unusually confident standing there naked in the kitchen. So much so that I didn't care that Bill Fort had a big home on the water or that he was one of the wealthiest men in Gloucester County. And while I appreciated his giving me some work over the spring break from school, it was my last year of high school. In addition to being lovesick for Ricky Sills, I also had a developing case of senioritis. And there was also the fact that Bill Fort, the largest fundraiser for Gloucester High School Athletics, and a mentor to many of the young men who'd gone on to college in years past, in spite of the fact that he was kind of an asshole anyway. I had to mention this to Ricky, undoubtedly one of Bill's declared best and brightest hopes to end up going pro, and he agreed with me. Bill Fort's a legend in his own mind, Ricky would say of the local real estate developer, and I don't mind if he thinks I'm about to be a legend. That was so classic, Ricky. Bill Fort didn't think that I was any kind of legend, that was for sure. Whenever I worked with him, which had only been occasionally during the last year or so, he always talked about how I'd be well suited for a small college somewhere and could maybe use my mother to help get a job afterwards at the bank. Without telling him of Ricky's plans for me though, I would just I would just say that I had ideas about moving someplace and doing something different. Different than what exactly, Bill Fort would ask. Different than being a kid in high school? I would try to let it go at that, but he'd dig in again later, letting me know I wasn't meant for dreams. Think small and your dreams won't get in the way of what you're supposed to do or what anyone else is supposed to do. I never quite quite got that last part, but noticed that Bill Fort found various ways of saying the same thing. He seemed to more and more be cautioning me away from something I, I wasn't even sure of myself. He seemed to be telling me to change course, but not in so many words, only with these random utterances. It was confusing that morning, but it wouldn't be confusing for much longer. As I made my way out the trailer and into the Chevy Love pickup that I'd managed to, to get from money I made the previous summer, I prepared to drive to the Bank of Ordinary, which was located in a part of Gloucester County known as, what else, Ordinary. On the drive, I noticed the daffodils had not only sprouted everywhere, but were by then on March 21st, the first day of spring, blooming more than not. I always found the flower, which gave Gloucester the, the title Daffodil Capital of the World, to be so indiscriminate in their placement, as if to say that beauty could be found in the same form in trailer parks, like the one I lived in, or on grand estates 
like Bill Fort Fortin joined. A daffodil is just a daffodil, but maybe it was more, since it often found a way to grace the less gracious locations. They were just so abundant sometimes as to seem generous, even breathtaking. Mom had asked me to check the mail at the ordinary post office before coming to the bank, so I pulled in and then sat self-consciously for a moment as a, a sheriff's deputy, Will Tyndall, made his way in first and hopefully went directly to his cruiser afterwards, but no such luck. Deputy Tyndall seemed to have taken an interest in me earlier that year, going out of his way and to stop and ask me how I was how my grades were, how my mom was, all things that, that puzzled me because he was both an adult and a cop. And why all the curiosity after all? But lately the inquiries had come to include Ricky, even though he could have hardly seen Ricky and me together more than a handful of times. Deputy Tyndall, who was an investigator by then, asked me once, right in front of Food Line, why I was waiting for my mother, well, I was waiting for mom, and he just, he just asked me outright. Now, Timmy, I'm sure you're aware of what a significant sports career your buddy Ricky Sills is destined to have. Now, any kind of bump in the road could lead to him never making it to his destiny, right? It just made me really nervous. I guess so, I said, trying to look puzzled, even though I was genuinely puzzled. He's really good, I added nervously. No, Timmy, Tyndall scolded me. I'm good. I'm a good detective. I'm good at detecting things good at finding things out. I'm good at my job, he said, emphasizing what he was mocking in my tone, my voice, or something. But he just kept emphasizing that good word. Ricky Sills is great, he shot back at me, like, like he'd retrieved a loaded sentence from his holster and aimed it right for my head. He's great, and that's rare, you have to understand. I do, I do, I, I, I said defensively, unsure about how or why I was being put on the spot and front of the supermarket by a cop. I promise I do. That's okay, Timmy, Tyndall said, kind of consolingly, but creepy too. It's just that we all here in Gloucester want to make sure that our star doesn't get dragged down by any bullshit, you know? Thank God Mom walked out of the food line on the tail end of Will Tyndall's declaration. And she... She did appear suspicious of his posture towards me. And like she can, she she greeted him with with a a 
kind of a formidable, casual, what's up, deputy? Sure is a quiet Saturday, huh? Yes, ma'am, Tyndall answered Mom, before pretending to be joking when he looked in my direction and added, just needs to stay that way. I sat in my truck months after that exchange with Deputy Tyndall and froze at the thought of running into him again. But I wouldn't have to worry about that since he was headed directly for my truck and leaning into the window before I could even open the door. Nice truck, Timmy, he said without a trace of sincerity. And then, with just a complete seriousness, asked, you seen Ricky today? He said Ricky without using his last name, which I noticed. And I think he noticed that I noticed it too somehow. No, I lied. Which was always best, since I tended to get thrown during these conversations about Ricky, as he and I lived in these different universes from people's perception of us. And so I just avoided most talk of him usually. Haven't seen him, sir, I lied again. Well, if you do see him, son, Tyndall said, and he was firm. Tell him we're all counting on him. Keep his nose clean in this county and beyond. Yes, sir, I said. And I surprised myself by beginning to open the truck door while he just stood there, still holding it. My... That sudden move also jolted him somehow, and he fluttered away awkwardly, but he still kept an eye on me as I made my way into the tiny post office building. navigate Gloucester today much the same way I did three decades ago, waiting for the other shoe to fall. Happiness, even in fits and starts, isn't always meant to be, and the fits and starts are not always a sign of what's to come, but just what's not meant to be. The cruelest thing about youth is that it both fades and amplifies as we get older. We would have been nothing without it, yet there it is now having nothing to do with us. Ricky is never far from me, and I have spent what will soon be a lifetime denying myself the love and pleasure that his most ardent cheerleaders would have wished. I have very few photos and other mementos from what should have been our life together. As queer as it would have seemed for a time, it would have been normal as it grew into whatever it had to for me to just be with him. I would have I would have done anything. I often ask him, as if he weren't in some far off world that I had no access to, but I'm now convinced I do, if he could have been happy with me, with the notion that it really was innocent that time we knew innocent enough to build on. I ask him if he'll forgive me for not being more bold as it all unfolded, if I forgive him for being too frightened of it all, 
no matter his alpha posture in our brief existence together. I really did think he knew it all, and he did. But I had an unrealistic faith that he could do anything with what he knew. Just like now, it was Gloucester, Virginia, and as with anywhere else, it wasn't up for debate. Two boys, even growing into free men, were not free to love one another without peer review and judgments being cast upon any speck of joy they discovered. And just like now, in my third decade of regret and loss, it's not as if we went places lovers go so instinctively with any abandon. We just went as far as to reach for one another, blindly, and with as few words as possible. So our desires didn't overwhelm our notions of what should have been. Once in a while I'll see one of our schoolmates and feel their gaze of pity. Even if it's not real, in some sort of morbid celebration of my having been left to die alone in this town. Or worse, to live here. When I first met Ricky Sills, talked to him that first time, I was stunned at how much I wanted to just let go of everything and everyone I knew and take me on whatever journey he would. We'd been the only two left by a campfire near the river in Rare Neck after midnight. Me not so drunk as he was, but intoxicated still by our slow-motion conversation in the, in the hush of a spring dying on account of another summer. How'd your dad die? he asked me bluntly. I wondered right away for no reason at all at if he wished his dad had died too. I'd seen Jim Sills rail on his son in public for his hair not being combed, his shirt tail hanging out, or any other number of offenses when I'd, I'd see them together in town over the years. An only child, Ricky was expected to perform and be at his father's best at all times. Baseball and his grand performance at the important game was Ricky's ticket to keeping Jim Sills at bay. Ricky's local fame tempered his father's ability to be as overbearing as he started out. But it, it still lived on in Ricky as a set of expectations in tone, if not in play. A car accident, I finally confided quietly that night by the water though not out of a sense of grief, of as much as a fear that I not compete with Ricky for the conversation. I'm sorry, Ricky said, and it, it occurred to me that no one my age had ever really expressed condolences in that simple, usual way. If you ever need to talk about it, man, he said, just let me know and we'll get a six-pack and come back out here sometime when no one's around and hash that shit out. Thanks, I said, though I wanted to say, holy shit, really? That would be great. When? But I didn't. 
and when Ricky began to speak again, I was glad I hadn't. Yeah, man, he began again. You can tell you haven't had a father or even a brother around, but you're cool with me, and maybe if you want we can hang out some when I'm not at practice. Just throw back a few and see if we can get you toughened up for the world, dude. Cool, I said, and I left it at that again. Whatever Ricky Sills wanted was fine with me, even if it meant changing something about myself. I was afraid that that he was going to ask why I sometimes looked at him in the, in the hallway lockers or looked down for years if we walked by one another in school, which I always did. My glances at Ricky were stolen ones, meant to carefully disguise any idea that I suspected he might be in the process of casually hanging the moon. I went into listening mode right then and there, hanging with as little obviousness as possible on every word that he said that night about his parents, his grades, his church, even his dog, Tiger, which he said he claimed to be the only one of its kind in Gloucester or maybe beyond. Today, I think of that night as the beginning of a life for me and Ricky, too that was perfect in every way except for its impossibility. His hand on my shoulder as he grew more drunk in spite of his decreased drinking, which I didn't bother to examine since he seemed to have a, a practiced enthusiasm that was so foreign to me. When he asked if I'd, I, being much more sober than he was, could drive him home, I said, sure. But then I, I added, but what about your dad? Shit, he said, almost frightening me at first. You're right. Think I can crash at your place tonight? My old man will think I went home with a cheerleader, and that'll do, do just fine as stories go. I loved the idea that there would be a story, since I didn't know what the hell the truth was anyway. Yep, better not be going home if I'm drunk, man. Let's ride he said. When I look at Bill Fort's house today, parked in my truck with a bunch of crepe myrtles that shield it from the roadway, I smell baseball everywhere and hear the cheers from a long-gone era of people full of hope for a boy they placed their bets in. And dreamed for. Ricky Sills was a powerhouse in a game I, I didn't really know the first thing about and still try to avoid the outcome of. I love baseball for Ricky now, but I hate it for myself. It's the game that gave Ricky so much and asked more than it gave even. And though it gave me the Ricky I knew, it also took him so far away from me all those years ago. And the man who once owned the house I now monitor with so much regret, that asshole, as Ricky called him, Bill Fort, was so cruelly instrumental in Ricky's destiny. Now it's my turn.
one quick way for you to understand 1984, if you didn't know it partially, is to remind you that there were no goddamn cell phones. I say it like this because the cell phones, as much as anything, remind me of the, the lack of intimacy we're all destined for when we isolate ourselves for survival's sake. Those stupid fucking what's up text messages from people whose breath I can't smell, whose awaited proximity never makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, or my heart race with anticipation of the promising and unknown. The morning was flying by exactly as they do on spring break. I was at the bank talking with mom or she was talking with me. And for the life of me, I don't remember anything either of us said. I try to sometimes when I want more from that day than what it affords my memory. But all I know of that part is the feeling I got from my mother, that she was just persistently concerned that I was not too heavily invested somehow in my life other than, in a life other than my own, and would not be able to, to recapture what I was missing. My mother had a way of saying things without saying them, which sort of reinforced a feeling in me that conversation wasn't always meant to be some honest exchange of information. Looking back, I know now that Mom wanted me to be okay. She knew that I probably wasn't in a safe place, and she felt helpless to do anything but make it worse. I left the bank with the ten bucks for gas, and that would be the last that I'd get on spring break, I remember thinking. I didn't really go anywhere, usually. And when I did, it was it was in Ricky's truck. Most times, we'd head down to Warehouse Landing and look out over the river while Ricky smoked a joint and I nursed a single beer, usually. And we might have talked for ten minutes just before drifting off into a, a quiet, as intimate and familiar by then as any couple who'd been together for a lifetime. Most of the words we said mattered. And they amounted to what we were feeling. If we didn't say them in outright terms. I drove towards Weredek to meet Bill Fort with a heavy heart and couldn't figure out why it seemed I needed to do something about what I was feeling. I felt so much pressure, and so much anxiety. And I'd been keeping all of my secrets in Ricky's too, or felt that I had anyway. I didn't think it was fair that any of it translate into a call for action on my part. Ricky Sills was someone. I got that. I was no one, and I got that too. But, but why did it all keep telling me that I needed to change something about it when the only thing I wanted, and wanted with all my heart, was for everything to stay the same? Bill Fort had a, a cool conspicuousness despite himself as he leaned in on his Mercedes sedan parked in the road leading to Wearneck Marina, both of which he owned. He appeared overly confident that I would, that I would notice him there and naturally stop, stop rather than 
then go to his house where he'd asked me to meet him on the phone earlier that morning. For years I'd heard rumors that he'd been married a few times to much younger women and then divorced them before they got any ideas about getting his money, large sums inherited from his family. He lived alone and with his family, family consisting of no siblings, a mother and a father now gone, he still carried himself as if he represented the fort named any and all comers. And he had a habit of mentioning his prestige to me in conversations that he began and finished while I worked picking weeds or planting bulbs or painting fences. I did a lot of whatever needed, less skill and was, and was called for. When I pulled into Marina Road, Will Ford stood in estimation of my approach as if he might comment upon my driving or state a grievance of some kind. Instead, he just hollered to me to follow him to the marina. So I waited while he got to his car and did as he'd asked. When we got to the marina, I pulled my truck onto the parking spaces in front of the restrooms that the customers used. I got out and went to Bill's car to stand and see what he wanted with me. Get in, Bill said, before I could place my feet still at his car door. I need to check on a property I'm thinking about buying, and that may be all there is to it today. This was not such a shock, since Bill Fort had a way of making anything he did seem like something worth paying for someone to do it with him. In any case, I was on the clock and felt a sudden sense of relief that actual work wasn't in the plan for now. Listen, kid, Bill began as soon as he effortless, effortlessly slid into the, the transmission in the drive. He just did everything so smoothly. Sometimes it pays to know who you are and what you can do. So today, it'll pay for you to know you're with me, just doing like I say, you know? Sure, I said sincerely, then added, what do you need? Nothing, Bill seemed to say as loudly as he could quickly. Then he took a breath that was meant to set a tone with me before continuing. You know, Timmy, it's okay to be anything or anyone in life as long as you're willing to make the necessary sacrifices, right? Yes, sir, I said, as we teenagers tended to then, even though I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Good, then, he said, so pumped up on his own importance that he assumed I really did get any of it. And then he began again. I like to think that you and I both know what it means to sacrifice something we think we have a right to for the greater good. I listened, and I watched as Bill Fort made his way toward Schley, the deeper part of Wernick that I was not familiar with during the light of day. Ricky and I had several times ventured down there after dark out of boredom, sometimes genuine adventure. But this time it just seemed to be a strangely narrated tour into foreign territory. Bill Fort continued, And there's always bigger and better, take it from me, he said as if 
and Encyclopedia Britannica endorsed his every utterance. Life is good here in Gloucester, but there is more than just here to life for a young man like yourself, with thoughts like yours, and whatever else like yours. Bill was pulling off of the road into a ditch before his words could sink in or be understood, and so I focused on what he was doing more than what he was saying for a moment. He straddled the ditch expertly, I admit, and then drove the car on about twenty or so foot wide trail that led into an open field that I'd never seen before. Only ten minutes from my own home. Gloucester County was larger in land area than five of the South Side's other cities and counties combined, so a lot of it was undiscovered by me, of course. Here we go, Bill said as he brought the car to a halt and slowly put the put it into park and seeming as if he might cut the ignition off, but he didn't. Listen to me, Timmy boy. I may not be your dad, but I'm certainly a good father figure of sorts for you, right? Right, I agreed dishonestly, but quickly. Well then, he continued, and I noticed he was gripping my knee. You've got some pretty obvious issues going on with what some people might call your manhood, and these issues aren't a problem if it's just about you and no one else. Huh? I asked without meaning to. I really didn't want the answer any more than I wanted his hand gripping my knee or to have been asked the question in the first place. What do you mean, huh? Bill Fort said mockingly, then carried on before I could even address his comment in exchange. You're old enough and smart enough to know exactly what I'm talking about and who I'm talking about. Here's the thing, young man. We both know of another young man who has a very bright future in a world that you and your kind don't have much of a place in, except to hold him back. I was feeling sick on my stomach suddenly in a way that I actually thought I might vomit, but I just belched instead, and Bill Fort continued in spite of what had to have been increasing misery on my part. Ricky Sills is a young man with another year of high school left, and you need to let him have that year to himself, and not distract him with whatever your ideas you have for yourself. You need to take the opportunity that I and a few others are willing to give you and go away to a nice school where you can major in something that fits the kind of person you are. I don't want to go away, I said, then realized that it wasn't that simple and corrected myself. I can't go away, I said. Oh, you can, and you should, and you probably will, son, Bill Fort said sternly, frustratedly. If you think that this community is going to stand by and allow you to possibly, no, most certainly, ruin the future of a fine young man like Ricky Sills for your strange amusement, you're mistaken, son, and that's that. And I sat quietly, but it felt like I was witnessing an explosion. I began to sweat and noticed that Bill Fort had removed his hand from my knee and was fiddling with his steering wheel nervously, angrily, something. Nothing was clear, and then he began again. Son, he finally said, which made me feel somewhat angry myself. You have lots of good excuses for ending up the way you have, and what good one, one good one 
is that you haven't had a father, and your mother obviously hasn't had the sense to keep a man around for your sake, if nothing else. But you don't have any excuse for getting next to Ricky Sills the way you have, just because he's got a bigger heart than he does a brain, I guess. He belongs to this county, to this community, not to your sick ideas of whatever queer shit pops up in your head. He's my friend, I said, admitting to something I knew right away I shouldn't have. We're friends. I followed up in some lame attempt to make it sound better. No, Timmy Sawyer, you're not friends, and he's not going to be your friend much longer, like I said. We're ready to give you the opportunity you should be grateful for. To maybe go live in Richmond or somewhere while you go to school. Maybe nursing school. I don't know, he said before taking a breath. Nothing more, though. You'd probably make a great nurse or someone who works in an office setting like your mom there, boy. But in this city, you'll forget all about Ricky Sills and move on and maybe even meet more people like yourself, since cities are full of them, I hear. I knew Bill Fort was being both serious and cruel, but I didn't know what to say or do except sit there and hope that it all ended soon and Ricky never found out about any of it. He was right. Ricky was good-hearted and had a future, and I didn't really. But Ricky would punch Bill Fort in the mouth, and he heard what he was saying to me. Ricky thought, and it turns out correctly, that Bill Fort was an asshole. Listen to me right now, Timmy, Bill said with a calmness that his words didn't project. You've got two choices, and that's to go away or to go away. Either way, your time with Ricky is running out, and that's been decided. We can make you pretty comfortable in Richmond in one of those dorms, and you can probably look at all the young swinging dicks you like up there. You can suck every last one for all I give a shit. But Ricky Sills is history for you, pal, and that's been written when you know it. I heard everything he said and all that it sounded like it meant, but to me it only meant one devastating thing. I would never see Ricky again, and this was more than I could stand to think about. I turned to the passenger door, opened it, and vomited as efficiently as I could have imagined. Everything that was inside of my stomach was making an exit. And I knew, I knew it in a way that was so new to me. I felt like someone was rearranging the parts of my body and nothing was the same so suddenly that I just wanted to shut down and run all at once. But I only sat there, leaning out of the door of Bill Fort's Mercedes, trying to catch my breath. Then I heard him slam his palm on the steering wheel before he said, Oh, give me a break, you little fucking pussy. I don't have time for this shit, no matter how sensitive you little faggots can be. This is already done, and you're out of here this year, and Ricky is getting down to business, and that's that. It's over, pal. He went on as he opened the door. Then he said, I'm going to step out of this, take a piss, and it'll be the last prick you get your faggot eyes on in this town. I bet you that much.
And that's when Bill Ford got out of his expensive automobile with all the authority he spoke to me with, and he walked to the front of it and removed himself from his trousers and began urinating as if on cue, glaring at me as if he were correct that I would indeed look right at him. And I did. I looked at Bill Fort as he took his time holding himself with a perverse pride, expressing his sudden anger and obviously long-lived hatred for me and whatever kind I was. He seemed to just luxuriate in his ability to snarl at me, a teenager, scared and absolutely alone in that field with him, on what should have been a great day to be young and hopeful and carefree and not bothered with the likes of high school for a few more days. It was horrible that I could see all of him in his eyes at once, as if the scope of my vision had increased with the level of fear I felt. I felt my, my head shake almost violently when Bill spoke out in midstream urination, seeming to me, seeming to me, but, but, but to others as well. It seemed like he was speaking to a huge audience. Look now, boy, he invited me. It's malicious. It's not like you'll be seeing Ricky's again. I've sometimes since then wished that I, that I said to Bill Fort that I'd never seen Ricky's penis. <laughs> I'd never embraced Ricky or, or been anywhere near him when every stitch of his clothes were off. But I'd also never spoken to anyone about anything like any of this before. And honestly, had anything like it brought up with me before. And then I was awake. I knew it was happening. Everything I feared but had no idea about was happening right then and there. This seemed to make sense now. I may not deserve it, but it seemed like what was going to happen all along. It just began to add up and make sense in a way. I didn't mean for it to. And more than than I meant to laugh, and my, my laughter was in no way a sign of my being amused, not at all. I just couldn't cry, I suppose, and the nearest relative to tears was laughter, spontaneity-wise, so I erupted the only way I could. Laugh, you little faggot, I heard the fort holler. Laugh at it all, bitch, and see how funny it gets. I stopped laughing then, not because of what Bill said, but because I felt a sense of strange composure and determination. It's so unusual when everything seems startlingly clear and instinct takes over before you know what it, what it is even. I don't remember what Bill Fort said next, but I can guarantee you it wasn't Merry Christmas, and I... I was busy by that time locking the doors to his car and climbing into the driver's seat. As I backed the car up several yards, Bill's expression and words, they grew faint, but still resonated as if he were inside of the vehicle, taunting me. 
telling me what a faggot I was and how Ricky was off limits and there were people who who would see to it that this was so. I heard it all like bullhorns in the stands at a football game and I was a problem and, and, and would be eliminated one way or another. I began to tremble and sweat all over more on each count than I knew possible within less than a minute and my hand slipped slightly as I tried to grip the steering wheel and turn the strange car around but I looked ahead as Bill Ford standing there without the decency to replace his penis to his pants stopped doing anything for a moment we both must have felt that the other was confused surprised by the, the turn of events whatever the events were and there was a brief few seconds when I I felt that Bill Fort might backpedal in the name of humanity adulthood something so I kept looking at him then it happened I should have known better Bill Fort was not a backpedaler Bill Fort was a force to be reckoned with a formidable man in a town that had few, and he was not about to mitigate anything I'd already done. He was who he was, and I was what I was. So the only way to reinforce his opinion of me from the outside of his locked and running Mercedes was to hold his cock with one hand and flip me off with the other. I'm not sure what he was saying when he did this, but I do know he was saying something. He began to say more as he assumed I was pulling the car backward and re you know, reverse and leaving him there. But he was as big a fool that day as I was a faggot to him. Because I didn't put that car in reverse as he'd expected. I shifted the transmission into drive without so much as touching the brake and began inching forward at first but Bill Ford looked pissed off for a second or two and then he grew anxious and even quickly terrified he knew it before I did I think since I really didn't know it until it happened I can assure you when I fouled down the gas pedal it was as if my foot and leg so infused with whatever lack of reason necessary to commit the act had betrayed me in order to save me it didn't seem to me as if the rest of me joined in until his shoulders and then his head disappeared beneath the view of the moniker and then instantly the grill that was when I felt him beneath the car being so completely run over and groaning pathetically as if his body seemed to travel the length of the undercarriage. I really wasn't so fully engaged in the act until I looked back at him on the ground, crumpled so unnaturally but in a way that was alarmingly fine to me, and then calmly put the car into reverse as he'd originally thought I'd done like some pussy I guess and backed over him at whatever speed I could bring the car to achieve in only several yards distance.
I sometimes recall the brief glimpses of a confidence possessed. I remember moments when living coincided with being, when I wasn't for whatever time it lasted so warped by self-consciousness and shame even. All of these times, long past and few against a lifetime as a whole, were experienced with Ricky Sills. When I was near Ricky, I felt alive and hopeful at my worst. I knew in my heart that Ricky cared for me, and knowing more than anyone else knew, accepted me. Sometimes, when we were sitting in the truck someplace with nowhere to go, nothing to do, he'd find some way to let me know he was exactly where he wanted to be. Love's articulation is only as clear as the listener's belief in love, in its power and might. Ricky Sills spoke to me at every turn, and now I'm speaking to him in many ways. I'm telling his truth and my story, but my goal is to tell him of my love and to be brave about it. I've been everything but brave. Might as well give it a shot. And so this is the day my fate has made. This spring day, so many days and years removed from that first day of spring in 1984, is when I have to make it right. There are just too many things falling into place for me to not finally take my place in the thread of time and truth. Sitting outside Bill Phillips' old home now, I it's renovated in many ways, but it still holds the haunts of everything you need to know to know what really was and wasn't. I'll go inside in a moment and continue this until it's told. I've taken the present owner's dog to a kennel and will leave the receipt and pickup information for their use in the envelope this recording will go into. The mail carrier will pick up all of this within only a few hours, within a hundred yards of my remains, and not know I'm behind the garage door, dangling from a rope. You'll get all of this in plenty of time to come get me and take me away before the homeowners return. I'll be perhaps the worst pet sitter they've ever had. But I hope they'll understand one day the significance of my departing from here, precisely, in order to get where I must. I can't leave anything to chance. I just don't want this reality anymore. Everything that's possibly fulfilling seems so ultimately unattainable. It's like I've got too many miles on me for someone who's never really been anywhere. But now I'm just belaboring all of this. I've told you what I'm doing, and now I have to find a way to tell you what I've done. What I've done is really what I did so many years ago, 30 years ago today, in fact. I was standing in the kitchen drinking from a bottle of vodka, holding the collection of pills I'd found in the medicine cabinet in the bathroom off of the den. 
Ricky had always told me that when he finally got me drunk, he was going to use vodka and orange juice. And while I was looking for something to help crush the pills, I noticed a jug of orange juice through the glass refrigerator door. I was almost shocked when I saw it there, POJ, and sensed only for a moment that I was in a time and space I'd never known before. Everything was out of my hands now. I'd just killed a man, running over purposely with a car. A really big Mercedes. I'd run him over twice and, and never flinched. So as I removed the jug of orange juice from the refrigerator and quickly found the two spoons that I'd used to crush the pills, as if I'd done this every day of my life, I knew that once things get so far out of hand, then the remaining choices become easier to claim as your very own. I looked out of the window, the kitchen towards the driveway. I was holding the, the fresh powder from the pills in one hand and the screwdriver in the other. And just as I smelt the bitterness of the crushed medication mixing with the sweat of my palms, in my palm, I saw that I'd left the driver's side door on Bill Fort's Mercedes open, just as if I'd gotten out of it and never intended to encounter it again in life. <coughs> I was thinking about how strange it looked to me, and how my sudden resignations were as foreign as they were final, when I heard someone say, Bill? as if we've been there all along and we're not calling through a slightly open front door, for example. Then again, only this time, they said it as a question. Bill? I wasn't about to answer. Not yet. I heard them moving in the house and saying something else. But just this time, I was dumping the crush medication into the glass of vodka and orange juice and with an unexpected sort of thoughtfulness, making sure to swish it around just so. That was when I looked toward the other end of the kitchen and saw Ricky Sill standing there, naked, holding a bath towel over his midsection. We were both pretty stunned. degree of power aren't always the most cautious or even deliberate men. Sometimes their power makes them careless, stupid even, but mostly it makes them corrupt, I suspect. Power isn't a safe investment in men with so much to hide. This house looks nothing like it did then, not really. Rumor had it that the Colliers, who purchased this place 27 years ago after it sat empty for so long got it for a song and with the money they saved they decided to change everything they could nothing has changed for me here looking out at the Ware River and a few fishing boats trolling around it's so funny but my diminishing eyesight isn't as much an issue here 
my mind's eye looks out to the river in 1984 and I can see it before me as well as what's behind me as clear as ever. When I saw Ricky standing there wrapping a towel around his waist without revealing anything more than his surprise at my being there I didn't know we'd cross paths in some sort of parallel universe. What are you doing here, is all he could say. I considered all of the reasons that I was here that day. The death of Bill Fort, my pending suicide, a, a life of frustration and confusion leading up to this moment of absolute strangeness. Nothing really came to me. Timmy, he said with an odd patience, what are you doing here and where's Fort? He's busy, I lied quickly, then added another one with, but he'll be here later, I guess. What do you mean you guess? Ricky wasn't as much nervous as just out of his element. With me somewhere, he usually hung out without me. I, I got that soon enough and it really didn't matter after a minute. After all, when the, when the sky is falling, there's really no other issue that stands out in particular. Look, Ricky finally said, I gotta get dressed in a minute and head into town for the team photo. Bill said he'd be here after I got finished picking up, picking the weeds out back and to just take a shower and wait for him to come back. So when's he getting here? Ricky asked. For someone who was always telling me what I should do, Ricky looked at me like I had an unusual amount of answers. Did he send you, Ricky said, and he seemed like this was entirely possible when he asked it, but still looked surprised that it could have happened. Yeah, I said. He said he needed the truck for a while to get some mulch for the beds out back and to come get you for the team photo. When is it again? Two o'clock, Ricky said, then looked out the window at the Mercedes with the driver's door open. Nice car, huh? He asked me unenthusiastically. It's okay, I said. Then I added, I'm just, I'm just going to go to the bathroom, and then we can get ready to go. I'll just take you to your truck, since I'll probably be, it'll probably be a bad idea for me for you to show up with me there. Why do you say that, Ricky said, and he was a little pissed now. Maybe I just don't belong there, I began. Maybe I would ruin the picture, just looking at it being taken. I said this not even thinking about it, but meaning exactly how pitiful it sounded. I was becoming acutely aware that I was more comfortable being confrontational with Ricky Sills than dealing with death's aftermath. It was 10.30 a.m. There was time, I thought. For what, I didn't know. But if the day, if the day could somehow turn around to favor me and Ricky, now was the window, and I needed to figure it out. Let's just get the hell out of here, I finally said as Ricky was walking towards the bedroom hallway. He must have been in the 
in the master bathroom when he was showering, I thought as I, I repeated myself, Let's just go, Ricky. We can be someplace completely different by this evening and ditch his car and figure it all out. I didn't know what I meant by figuring it all out, but there was no shortage of shit to get figured out by my calculation. Figure what out? Ricky said, and he was confused by now, not really able to find his footing in the unusual exchange. There's nothing to figure out, man, he said. I'm going to I'm going to my truck to go get a team photo taken, and you can come back and wait for Fort to show up. I don't care. He's not showing up, I said, mocking Ricky as my eyes welled up and my, my chin began to quiver. It felt so good to break a little, to just feel like me again, even if there was more anguish and fear to go along with it. You just said he'd be getting some mulch and bringing it back, Timmy. What the fuck are you on? Just wait while I get dressed, Ricky said. And I could tell that instruction was his way of telling me not to have a nervous breakdown over whatever was eating me and that that he was okay and to just calm down. But he didn't know I couldn't calm down, even if he wasn't all that mad at me. He didn't have a clue, really. He was halfway down the hall when I just blurted out, I love you, Ricky Sills, and I'm leaving here today with or without you. Time moves in strange ways when it's of the essence. It skips around until it finds a way to fit the weight of the moments, I think. And it was during one of these skips that I missed Ricky's swift return from the bedroom hall, towel still adorning his waist like it was made for him. And it was during one of these skips that I missed Ricky's hand. Open as if he was attempting to catch a ball, mittless after an unexpected shift in its direction, smacking me across the face like I suppose his father had smacked him a hundred times. Let me tell you something, Ricky Seal said, through clenched teeth and with his body tightening as I'd never seen it before. You go anywhere without me, or without me knowing where you go, or me not being able to get to you. Don't ever fucking come back because I'll kill your crazy ass when you finally do. I'd, I'd never been a fan of abuse, of people physically overpowering others or intimidating one another. But passion is sometimes the only means certain people have of expressing their deepest felt feelings. Hell, if Ricky Sills had loved me more than that, Maybe he'd have just killed me then, putting all of this to rest before it could have woken up to begin with. I looked at Ricky, and he looked at me, probably in a way that we never had before. We were taking a measure of one another now, trying to decide what to do or say next. But just as Ricky broke, exhaling with that tone and look of defeat I'll never forget I kept advancing 
I'm sick of Gloucester and school and the people here. I stopped. I genuinely didn't know what else to say, and I was crying besides. Me? Ricky asked bitterly. Are you sick of me, Timmy? Just say so, and I'll give your ass something to be sick of. I'll make your pussy ass sick of next week when I knock you straight into it. It had never occurred to me until then just how much verbal and maybe even physical abuse Ricky had endured and learned. He wielded it about this room as if everything he had depended upon it. He hurled my love for him back at me like it was the thing that could kill him if he didn't get it just right soon and keep it that way. Ricky had gone into the kitchen, and I could see the reflection of him looking out at the driveway through the window. I just sat there feeling so desperate and crying that I was almost whimpering, but his breathing sounded so labored that I didn't think he heard me. Maybe not. I wish I had that day back. I know that. I know I'm switching tapes a lot, but I just I just need the break in between to regroup. It's hard for me to believe I won't be here this time tomorrow. Or even even in a couple of hours. I stopped thinking about God this morning at about five o'clock. I'd got what I call a good night's sleep for someone having their last night's sleep. And I didn't stop thinking about God for some bitter or angry reason. God didn't, didn't make this mess. I stopped thinking about God because I needed to focus on love. That's right, love. It's all that's left for me, even if it's not here. But if it could have ever been real here, and it was, then it can be real somewhere else. And if I'm not going to be here, I'm going to be somewhere else. I got it here, didn't I? And I was loved here, wasn't I? It's all been so long ago that it almost seems far away, too. But it wasn't far away. It was right here in Gloucester. It just seems, the love that is, like a million years ago and a billion miles away. But I've been here in this house every day of my life for 30 years, even though I haven't set foot in it again until last week, when the collier showed me how to, how much to feed Ginger, their laboratory, and where her medications were, and how to let her in and out of the garage. I've done just as asked, and I've let Ginger out several times a day not just the two or three that they've requested. I've let her out and watched her patrol the shoreline from the various windows of the waterside of the house. I've left $150 cash that the colliers left for me exactly where I found it. I won't be needing it. And I've laid on this floor and longed for history's revisionist and 
march in and declare me mistaken. I did that at first anyway. But that and any fear of God now are all done. Now it's just me in the past and this moment and the rest of the story, of course. You don't have to love me if you don't want to, was what I heard Ricky say from the kitchen. You can go. I'll take that. Can't make you stay anyhow. I just thought you could hang in there as all. I was flabbergasted after he said that. Lord. <laughs> Ricky waited, unknowingly granted, until I was facing my life's greatest crisis to let me know his feelings had words. And I could only respond by breaking him. I had to get him out of here and face the music and let him get his way as let him get away undamaged as undamaged as possible now. And it wouldn't be easy. But I was also angry now. I don't know why. Go explain anger and you'll have what I was. I am leaving, I finally said, and I have to, and you'll get it. Just let me take you to your truck, and then I'll tend to my issues and be gone before the flashbulbs go off in the camera. I gotta go, Ricky, and it has nothing to do with you. I don't know when he got behind the sofa I collapsed into, but I heard his voice break so pitifully as he asked me, Please don't do any of this. You're just having a bad day and I don't mind it becoming my fault. I know I take you for granted, Timmy, and I know I boss you around and all, but I'd change if I knew I needed to, okay? Just tell me what's so bad right now that isn't usually so bad, and I'll try to make it as right as I can. Ricky still said with some increasing calm to go along with this attempt at taking charge again. Ricky, I said without having anything prepared to follow it up. I love you, I heard him say, interrupting me. Quiet, but clearly, and like it might pull the oxygen from the room if he said me louder. And I can fix this, whatever it is. I know you're miserable here. I see it every day, but I just thought I'd have more time to work with. But I can see now that it can't wait. So just tell me what to do. I looked at what of his reflection I could see in the TV screen, which wasn't much. I laid his offer, so ignorant of the circumstances and so spectacular, just the same. Timmy, he said, sounding more oriented than I was prepared to hear. Where exactly did Fort go to get the mulch? He'll be here any moment. And you and I are looking like we're crazy in love. And it's just too obvious. we got to make a move, man. I knew what Ricky was doing. And that he had to do it. He was taking charge because he knew I was losing it. Like I'd shown the potential of doing before. Only this time wasn't the same. And he sensed that too. Ricky Sills was scared, and he couldn't figure out why. 
You need to go get your picture taken, Ricky. I said with as much emotional detachment as possible. Go and do it. Take Fort's car even. It doesn't matter. And I'll get a ride from him when he gets back here. It'll be okay. I shouldn't have added that last bit about how it would all be okay. Ricky's suspicions grew into some sense that there was something to be more than just suspicious about. You take me, Ricky said, in an even tone to match my own. Take me there and wait for me, and then we'll bring Fort's car back. No, I calmly said. Just go now and get your picture taken. I wanted him out of there with as little additional emotional spew as possible so I could just drink my potion and put a rope to use. Ricky Sills would go on to have a great life and career and I'd be out of the way. What are you up to? What the hell is going on with you? Ricky was now in no mood to be jerked around and he was going to find out what was eating at me. And I wasn't prepared to fight him. Ricky, I said as calmly as I, any lie I'd ever began, I will see you soon, and I will do anything you ask if you just go. I sat there and felt Ricky move from behind me, and around me, and in front of me. He was serious now. He was a different kind of desperate, and threatened, and hanging on to his composure by a thread. No, I take that back. The thread was broken. I don't know how what the hell. He said, he said he didn't know what the hell was up with me. Timmy, I don't know what the hell is up with you. I just remember he swore at me. But I've had just about enough of this crazy shit of yours today. And we're leaving here once I go get dressed and ready. That's that. I felt panicked. Ricky was making it impossible for me to protect him. I was losing this battle. I had to say something that could possibly get him out of the door. And that's when he gave me an opening. I don't regret anything, you know. He said, as if the six words could possibly fill the hole I dug. And I can't do without you. I knew it was my only chance to send him on and shot back at him. We can't make it, Ricky. They won't let us, and now it's too late. I'm I'm going to ruin your life and the chance you have to make it. I'm not worth it. If I'd calculated that this would help matters, I was mistaken. In fact, I was miserably wrong. Ricky stiffened again so that it perfectly mirrored his posture when he'd lost it before. And I just blinked in the face of a situation out of control. I don't think that Ricky wanted to kill me, but he was angry enough by then to do it accidentally, I think now. He was just exasperated. I don't remember standing, so I guess it was Ricky who physically stood me upright, probably in a single bound. I do remember my feet leaving the floor for a split second and landing on his feet and him hollering what the fuck are you doing to us Timmy before we both fell onto the floor and together hit our heads on the brick hearth of the fireplace there 
I was so dizzy and disoriented for a minute and could only feel Ricky trembling as he gripped me in an embrace. I'm not letting you go until we get this shit straight, Timmy. He wasn't being loud. He was firm and not to be reasoned with. Then he went on for a minute with, It's going to be okay, I told you, so just let me take care of things. Fort's dead, I said, without really meaning to. I regretted it the second it came out of my mouth. If Ricky had just left and let, let me write my note to explain why he was in Fort's car, which probably still had evidence of what I'd done in it, then I could, I could make an exit for both of us. But Ricky just pushed and pushed like he always did, and now here we were. Two people sharing in a catastrophe that only one, only, I still only need it to be mine. How? I finally heard Ricky say, instead of ask. I think he'd said it several times before I recognized it, actually. What? How? I finally heard him. It doesn't matter. He's just gone. He's dead. And you gotta go before you get wrapped up in this and lose everything, Ricky. Please just go and promise. I promise I'll make it right myself. Ricky looked at me. I felt it even though I, I couldn't really see his face the angle my head was now. When he inhaled so deeply and physically and mentally, I just started to cry hysterically. I was spent and had no more for the time being. Ricky became remarkably efficient for someone his age, now that I think about it. Did you kill him? He asked me. Yes, I said just as straight as he asked. How? I ran him over with his car, I said, noticing that only a few words could lift a person somewhat from the anguish, however undeservedly. Where? Ricky was becoming more clear, but I had trouble recognizing something about him. I guess we were all animals, and it was his scent. As he undoubtedly began to know the game had changed beyond the scope of his imagination. I took a breath and finally answered, in, the, in that field at Sly, right in Sly, near the post office. Behind the row of trees, he asked me. Yeah, I said, to my surprise, sounding like I was affirming that I had a flat tire there. I was just so suddenly not alone that no one component of me was in natural sync with another. You know he's dead, for sure, I mean. I did it twice, I said, unable, unable to say again what it was I'd done. Jesus, Timmy said, then to my surprise, I can understand once, but two times? I don't know, I said, not even picking up on this natural sympathy for someone running over Bill Fort the one time. You don't know? I mean, I know I did it twice, I confirmed. I can't see how he'd be alive.
Holy shit, Timmy. Ricky, I'm so scared. Okay, Ricky said, and seemed to be thinking. I'm just so tired, I cried. And I was. Really tired, in fact. Just lay here, Timmy. I'll get it straight, but I think we've got to do what we got to do. What, I said, my then almost sobbing. I felt terrible that I killed Mel Fort for the first time. Before, I just really, I was just really shaken up by it. But now I felt bad. Like it had been a bad idea. Even if I, I didn't really remember having actually decided to do it. I'm going to go in a while. But I need you to stay here and don't call anyone on the phone or go outside. Just stay right here. Okay, Ricky, I whimpered. I'm really sorry. Shut up now, Timmy, and just rest. I'll stay and I'll stay right here until you calm down. And I did calm down. It was as if I went into another universe for a while. I remember Ricky cradling me there. The edges of her head still resting upon the hearth. His he occasionally said, shush, shush now, to my decreasing sobs, and he stroked my head and neck gently, and, and to this day I feel like Ricky kissed me once as I was drifting off. I remember the taste of it and how it seemed both beautiful and more ominous than all of the events that led up to it for some reason. But then I was out just so depleted that I used the, the nothing I had left to think nothing more, do nothing more. It couldn't have been any more than an hour or two later that I began to wake up, and I knew Ricky was gone before I even opened my eyes. I lay there wishing he'd, he'd taken me with him. I stand here in this garage now, so many years since I made such a series of profound decisions to survive the unsurvivable right here. There are fewer collections to rummage through, less physical evidence of the past to connect with. But there is something I'm not entirely surprised to see, and that's the stack of lawn signs for the re-election of Will Tyndall to the United States Congress. I suppose the Colliers are Republicans and are not exactly disturbed by the candidate's now legendary rhetoric. Will Tyndall, they each say, will read. Then under his photo, faith, family, honesty. I guess this would be Tyndall's fourth campaign and he's currently on his way to winning this time too, I'm sure espousing the virtues of maintaining the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman without exception, his fading but still resonant crusade to keep homosexuals from teaching our children in public schools, and his equating homosexuality with predatory sexual deviance, just to name a few. But Will Tyndall wasn't always a national figure appearing on news programs and talk shows. 
raising money for political action committees dedicated to a god they so ill-defined in an age like any other where god couldn't be any more needed will tyndall was once gloucester county's chief deputy detective and in the spring of 1984 he was charged with investigating suspicious deaths of course thursday march 22 1984 wasn't any easier a day to live out than the day came, you know, the day that came before. But I had a clearer idea of the outcome, and it was clear to Will Tyndall that I really didn't give a shit about any conclusions he would draw from the scene here that day in this garage. I'd been allowed to sleep in late that morning, my mother guarding over my bedroom door, just as she guarded over the big yellow envelope. I'd given her the night before, having pulled it from between the mattress and box springs in my bedroom. It wasn't sealed, but I asked her not to open it or let anyone have it under any circumstances, or I was sure we would both be killed. The day's events would be serious enough for her to believe this was possible and even true. So she would in fact hold on to the envelope and the next day deposited a safe deposit box at the Bank of Ordinary, where it remained until yesterday. I remember how in the days after everything went down, my mother went from checking on me in my bedroom, sort of still standing watch in many ways, to abandoning that post for the confines of her own bedroom with the door locked. There is no other feeling like the feeling of your mother not knowing what you're capable of. Your own mother. Mom had opened that envelope and she knew everything. She no longer believed anyone would come to kill me. But she did seem to feel she resided with tragedy, and she wouldn't continue doing that for long. I love my mother. I miss seeing her and wish so desperately that I had never been a party to act so foreign to her nature that she ultimately had to conclude I was someone other than the person she knew. I'm sorry for that as much as anything. And I'm so tired now. I'm strangely tired, like that day I laid on the floor next to the hearth in there beside Ricky Sills. I feel right now like I can't go on, and that worries me. I have six more blank tapes left, and I can't see where I'd need that many, thank God. The truth, the real truth, is it's elaborate with nothing at the end but resignation and I think for sure I'm, I'm at the end now I've tried to, to wax eloquent at some points but but now I'm here and this has to happen believe me I prefer to just go and be done with it honestly it's not as if telling the truth will change the nature of liars 
We knock one down and another stands up to take their place. I'll be impressed when the truth itself stands up. But even if it did, I won't be here to see it now, will I? I'm naked, literally, and in almost every other way now. I'll probably wear nothing more than the towel that Ricky wore the day in 1984. I'll probably wear it to the mailbox when I put all of this in the envelope and seal it up. It's not like there's anybody here to see me. Still no neighbors here in this secluded part of Wearneck, a secluded place to begin with. I've slept with that towel between my mattress for 30 years, and I'm sure my mother searched and found it after I gave her the envelope and left for Bill Fort's house that Thursday morning. She said that Deputy Tyndall sounded very interested in speaking with me there soon. And then she asked if she should call an attorney to go along. No, I said. I'll be okay. This place, my God, it's as beautiful as it is tragic. I don't know if I'm in a trance or just mesmerized by the notion that it's all happening as it has to, finally. And there are no barricades before me. Death may be the freedom I've longed for. I know I'll recognize it when I see it, but I can honestly say I know nothing of it, death or freedom. I walked into Bill Fort's home that morning from the front door. There were deputies everywhere, and all of them seemed to be holding something or other that would be of significance to them. A hand appeared out of all of the brown uniforms and extended toward me before I could take it in. Before I could take it all in. Timmy, a voice said. Chief Deputy Tyndall, Gloucester Sheriff's Office. I know, I said, and I shook his hand more firmly than I would have intended to if I'd planned such a thing. Timmy, Tyndall began again. I know you gave your statement to the deputy last night. But I need to go over everything with you again since I have some concerns. What concerns, I asked. Just indifferent enough to equal aggression, I suppose. Not now, Tyndall instructed and quickly took me by the shoulder to walk me to the doorway that led from the kitchen to the garage. Now, he said quietly but clearly, looking around to see if we were alone. You say you got here at about 3 p.m. yesterday, and I read here that the first thing you did after you saw the body was to call the sheriff's department to tell them what you found. Is that correct? Yes, sir, I said. Now, I'm no scientist, he said. Timmy, I'm no forensics man here. But there are some strange things about the setting here. About the body. About what bodies tend to do when they've, well, when they've been hanging. I'm no expert either, I admitted, letting that suffice until Tyndall came up with an actual question for me. It was strange to be so unprepared and still not out of my depth. Timmy, Tyndall said, 
And it was as if he was talking to a Sunday school student about the wages of sin instead of someone who had information about one dead man and another one missing. We found blood in the trunk of that Mercedes out there. And it's very unlikely to find a body hanging that has a head injury. And, now this is unpleasant here. It's all unpleasant, I interrupted, wanting to let him know that I had my bearings. Yes, of course it is, Tyndall said, again looking to see we were not within earshot of anybody. Timmy, I just need to get to the bottom of all of this. We've got a case where an injured man appears to have hung himself, and there's no human waste on the floor beneath his body, which is typically the case. And with the blood in the trunk, and this person in a significant member of our community, and another important member of our community, I don't have to tell you. Is missing? I said with a tone of a question. Yes, Tyndall whispered loudly. And then these photos. He handed me three photos. One of them with a section cut out about an inch or so into the Polaroid. It was obviously a purposeful editing and he pointed to it as he remarked. Now what do you make of this? without specifying the missing piece of the photo exactly. I don't make anything of it, I said. I don't make anything of it, of what you've shown me. I just know what I told your man last night, and that was that. Well, I guess that's that then, Timmy, Tyndall agreed. It just seems a terrible shame that we've got one dead here, another one missing, and you've got to live with this for the rest of your life. Keep it all inside and not let it eat away at you. You know what I mean, son? I know exactly what you mean, I said. Now can I go? My mom's pretty worried about me. Of course she is, Timmy. You run along, and I don't suppose I'll have to call on you again. I mean, there's no reason I need to, right? That's exactly right, I said, getting the strange swing of things by then. It's odd to me that, that it feels like it's getting late and it's still morning. But like I said before, this isn't a usual day. I hope I'm finished with this soon. I'm fighting against my natural instinct to be here tomorrow. No matter that my mind is made up, and I won't be, I'm impressed by the human inclination towards survival by all means. But I, I think in my lifetime, I have covered all the means. I've stuck with it in spite of indignities, a lack of deservedness, and I've survived a life that was comprised of nothing more than survival. I've done it, and it's time. The funeral was private, of course. The entire county was in a state of shock, and anything else would have been a circus. I, I sat in my truck in a 
parking lot across from Ware Episcopal Church. I'd been told that I could go inside, but I didn't want to. I closed my eyes and drifted off just long enough to forget a percentage of the things that were in it for only a moment. And then I jumped. I could smell him. I could smell Ricky. It was as if he'd been at my window looking in on me, making sure I was okay. I wasn't, I thought to myself. So come back. Then I started going through the compartment between the, the seats, looking for nothing in particular. There were a pair of Ricky's sunglasses, some gum, and then some rolling papers. They were in an unopened package. It, it seemed like longer than it had been since Ricky had smoked pot in the truck. So it took me a minute to remember that he hid his pot in a chewing tobacco pouch that he left in the glove compartment. I'd never rolled a joint before, but I'd seen Ricky roll plenty, and it seemed simple enough. Within a minute or so, I had a tight little doobie he'd be proud of, and had it lit just, just right when Will Tyndall walked up to my truck window and began talking as I smoked the first joint of my life. I know you think you're smart, Timmy, Tyndall said as he seemed to smile at my new hobby. But all of this shit you've stirred up can come back to bite you in the ass. I don't want to see that happen. So I need to make sure it's all done and wrapped in a neat little bow, son. You understand me? I think we understand one another perfectly, Tyndall, I said, before blowing smoke and coughing a bit. Is that a marijuana cigarette you have there, Timmy? Tyndall asked. Yes, I said. It's what we pot smokers call a joint, deputy. Okay, I get it, Tyndall said. But there's a funeral going on over there, son. And a man somewhere out there holding all the cards, or maybe not. And if you let me know what's going on, maybe I can help clear things up. I think it's all pretty clear, Deputy Tyndall, I said. But I'll fill you in for the hell of it, just to get it off my chest, and then I'll go home. Okay, spill it, Timmy, Tyndall said. Well, you see, Deputy Tyndall, I'm sitting here queer as a football bat, smoking a joint. My first ever joint, believe it or not, in front of a cop, of all things. And all I can think of is how much I miss and love and won't need Ricky Sills. I got you, son, Tyndall said. The pot really started to have an amazing effect and I didn't care about anything. Nothing. Who ran over Bill Fort? You or Ricky? Tyndall asked, and he was as cool as, cool as a cucumber and almost seemed compassionate. He seemed something other than what I pictured him being when I told him that. Me, I said. What was the plan after that, Timmy? 
No real plan, I said honestly. I hadn't run over anyone in a Mercedes before, so I just sort of winged it from there. Hell, the first thing I did after I ran him over was put it in reverse so I could back over him too. Was Ricky there, Tyndall asked? No, I said sadly. It was just me. I left there and went to his house and got ready to kill myself with a rope. Fort's house, Timmy? Yep, that's right, I said. Why didn't you kill yourself? He asked. Ricky, I said. He's why. He's been the reason for everything and anything since we became friends. Well, that friendship is over now, Timmy, Tyndall said. I know. I said as sad as I'd ever been without crying. It's all over. Not quite, Timmy. I need to know what happened. Okay, sure, I said, finishing up the joint and rolling another, as if it was something I did every day. I got there to Fort's house and made a drink and I put a bunch of crushed pills into some vodka. Some orange juice. And I don't know what kind of pills. Okay, Tyndall said, as if to encourage me, but that only distracted me. So I asked him, How'd you know he was run over with the Mercedes? A hunch, he said. And part of a shoestring and some fingernail pieces. I found them under the car. Cool, I said, without any disrespect, but also without a hint of remorse either. Go on, Timmy. Okay, I will. I was mixing the drink with the drugs when who but our good old buddy, Ricky Sills, pops around the corner in a towel. Well, not really in the towel, but holding the towel over his crotch. I'm listening, Timmy. Tyndall and I both looked towards the church when the bells rang. I can't remember how many times they rang. A lot of stuff happened, but it's between me and Ricky. The part you want to know about is how he got hung up there, right? Among other mysteries, yes, Tyndall confirmed. Well, I'll tell you that part at least, I said. You see, we were laying there on the floor, and we'd only ended up on the floor because we both somehow fell down together and hit our heads. This probably wouldn't have been an issue, and it wasn't for me either, since I went on to sleep for a while, because that's what Ricky wanted me to do. He told you to go to sleep, Tyndall asked. Yep, I said, and that he loved me, and he'd take care of everything. Okay, Tyndall said, nodding as tolerantly as possible. So I finally wake up, and it's cold there. I reach out, and that's when I know he's gone. There was plenty of blood from his head, sure, but that's not what did it. My head was bleeding too, you know. Sure, Timmy, Tyndall said. So I tried everything. I tried pumping his chest. You know what I'm talking about? Chest compressions, Tyndall asked. Yeah, chest compressions, I repeated to him, now crying, but still speaking pretty clearly. 
then I said to myself, I should try mouth to mouth, you know, whatever. And that's when I figured it out. Figured what out, Tyndall asked. His mouth smelled funny. A little good and a little bad. I was running to the kitchen before I'd really figured it out. What, Tyndall asked. He drank my suicide mixture. When he went into the kitchen for a minute, Ricky drank it down in no time, I guess. So he died from that, Tyndall said. I think it was that and hitting his head on the bricks. What did you do then, son? I laid with him for a while. I covered him up to try to get him warm, but that didn't work. So I just kept rubbing on his body and thinking it might make him warm again. But nothing worked. Tyndall looked at me curiously for a moment. I think he was wondering if I was going to make the dreaded statement that yet another person became involved at this point. But no one was. I knew what I had to do, I said. So I finally got up and went into the garage and looked for a rope I'd seen on the shelves there before. Near the cans, Tyndall asked. That's right, deputy, I said, near the cans. But the cans fell off of the shelf and opened up. And that's when I saw the photos. I hear you, Tyndall said. And there were so many. Must have been twenty. Do you know I'd never really seen Ricky's privates before I saw those photos? I believe you, Tyndall said. And there it all was. Ricky's body, naked. With Bill Fort's mouth on his penis. Then one of them sucking his ball sack. Must have been pretty upsetting for you, Timmy, Tyndall said. Yeah, it was. I was, I was ready to go. No more Ricky, so no more living. But then this, these pictures. So I have to rethink things because I don't, I don't want anyone getting away with this, right? I can see that, Timmy, Tyndall said. So I, so I keep looking and I see more. And there's another kid. And then another. It was, it was so much. Bill Fort, for one, was treacherous. Then I realize I'm, I'm going to hold him for a while. I know I'll go eventually, but not just yet. That was when I dragged Ricky out of the, on the side door and, and put him into the trunk. I took him back around to the garage and figured out a way to use the car's hitch to pull Ricky up by the neck as I went forward. The further I went, the higher Ricky went, and so it was just a matter of cutting the rope from the hitch and then tying it around the ceiling joist, and it was done. Not really, Timmy, Tyndall said. Oh yeah, right, I said. I cleaned my best friend up from the waist down, held him, felt completely crushed. 
arranged the photos of Bill Fort blowing him on the workbench where you'd find them, then went to the marina and left his car and took my truck to come back here and made the call to the sheriff's department. There has to be more, Timmy, Tyndall said. Oh, yeah, I said. There's more. There's the part of the picture I cut out that has your hand in it, with you wearing that Gloucester High School baseball ring. Then there's a few more, with that fancy wedding band you're wearing now. Oh, I said, continuing. And, and, I, and I noticed Will Tyndall putting both hands on the doors as if he wanted to end my life right there. And then there's the ones of you performing oral sex on Ricky, too, deputy. A lot of things can change in 30 years. But some things will never change. And I'm not fool enough to think that this account will change anything. Not at all. The truth has a persistent way of being true. But I think people wait around for it to somehow become more profoundly true before they act. I'm guilty of that too. It's been three decades since I knew my life was over here. If there were a way for me to tell you how much I've missed my life with Ricky Sills, and I believe we could have had one, I don't know how I'd do it. When you lose someone in such a profound and unfair way, it's all over but the shouting. And now it's just all over. I've set things up where I'll hang myself naked just as I did with Ricky and on the first day of spring same again all of it's been planned for years really and I've given it years to know it's the only way the only thing that's spontaneous is my placement of Will Tyndall's campaign signs beneath me so that when my bowels go he'll know that not only have I sent the old Polaroids to you, I've also literally shit on him. I'm kind of comforted by that. I want to see Ricky, and it seems possible to me. People use the power, the power of faith and belief in order to do things seemingly impossible and I've kept my faith in this one goal for years seeing my friend again I believe it can happen I, I know it cannot happen here so I have to try I'd try anything right now I have his glove on me. Ricky's mother will want it. I took it out of Ricky's truck that day before I came back to Bill Fort's. 
I've slept under my mattress for 30 years. The lump was always there. It'll be attached to the rope, so I hope you'll return it to his mother. She once asked me if I knew where it was, and I lied. I've become an excellent liar. I hope that part of me remains here. My mother won't be surprised about any of this. She won't be surprised about Will Tyndall either. She's known everything, I suppose, for years, though we've never spoken about it. But I hope she'll be happy that I'm making some attempt to make it as right as possible and to find love again in this awful way. And making it right means saying outright that Ricky Sills didn't kill Bill Ford, as Will Tyndall's investigation concluded, or hang himself out of shame for being a homosexual. Ricky Sills was a great baseball player and would have gone on to give the world something to stand and cheer about. He was gracious and bold and kind and wanted to live and love and be as great as he was meant to be. I missed every breath that came out of him. I stopped living when he did. I don't know about the religious rules of play here. I don't know what I'm supposed to say to make it happen or to keep anything else from happening. I don't know what God would say or do to discourage this. I'll wrap this up in a minute and mail it before I walk back here to leave. It seems like it will be painless. I don't know why I think that. I don't know anything that's been painless. And I don't know if I'm forgiven or forgotten or if any of this really matters. I only know that there's got to be more than this life. I want to say no matter what that I believe in love. I do.